Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Melissa Harstein, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. This is going to be a very interesting conversation, uh, I think, I hope. <laughs> I, I this, is a, this is a topic that I love. I love um, copywriting and the art of copywriting, but we're going to talk about it from a different point of view. Um, and we'll get into that in a couple of minutes here. But I, before we jump into that, I want to know more uh, about you. Um, Melissa helps service providers improve their sales and marketing with research-backed copy and case studies. As a trained journalist, she leverages customer interviews to craft words that inspire people to take action. And so that gives a little bit of what Melissa does and how she does it. She's a copywriter but she does it a very interesting way, and that's what we're gonna talk about today. Um, Before we do that, I wanna know your origin story, Melissa. Who or what inspired you to do what you do? So share that story of your journey to where you find yourself today. Yeah, thanks, Mark. So I actually started my career as a journalist working at a niche newspaper for the elderly. So just like try to imagine me in your mind for a second, right? Like I'm 22, (laughs) fresh out of college, writing stories about senior citizens. And I show up, I knock on their door, getting ready for this interview. And they look at me and they just go, kid, you are so young. 
How do you write stories for us old people? And it really was the beginning of my journey to like ask really deep questions and try to understand someone whose life is so different from my own, right? Um, And so then my next job after that was working at a nonprofit for international students. Same type of thing. All of a sudden I was meeting people from like 110 countries that lived in my town. Um, All these different cultures, all these different experiences. And, you know, I learned that when I go to have dinner with a friend from Nepal at their house, I take my shoes off the moment I step in the door. Or if I'm going to have a meal with my Chinese friend, I always bring a gift for the host, you know, even if it's just a bag of chips, because that's part of their culture and a sign of respect. So that was really my start in, you know, learning how to use empathy and asking deeper questions and learning how to build, you know, just those human connections with people who look so different from me. So then when I started my writing business in 2016, that's where this all really came together. You know, the art of, of storytelling, like I did at the newspaper, the art of asking questions and understanding people and the craft of marketing and telling stories in a way that really make people feel like you understand them, you see them, you know, you're not just selling to them. You're having a really good conversation. Um, You know, sometimes it feels like you're a mind reader because you understand exactly what it is that your clients are looking for and you can speak to them just very authentically. I want to go back to the, to, to you as a young journalist talking to the elderly, knocking on the doors of, of people who, and they look at you like, what, why do you, why do you want to know anything about me? Um, but my question about that is, is how much of that period of your life prepared you for what you do today? Because I know from speaking with elderly people that they have fascinating stories because they've lived a life way beyond anything that we can imagine. They lived so much longer than we have. They've experienced things that we've only heard about and read about in books. They've lived through that. So they are the greatest storytellers of our time. How much of that moment of time in your life prepared you for what you're doing today. Exactly. You know, I remember some very specific stories that jump out at me, you know, um, interviewing a woman whose house was, you know, knocked down by a tornado. Um, it ended up coming and hitting my town as well. But, you know, she said that she heard this, ta- the sound coming and just sounded like a freight train. And she thought that train's not whistling. So she went down to her basement, was sitting on a chair in the middle of the room. Tornado came, knocked over the house that she had built with her husband. You know, oh. they, they, they self-financed it. They built it like one load of lumber at a time as they could afford it. And this tornado completely takes her house down to the foundations. But she looks at me and she goes, kid, you won't believe this, but there was not one scratch on me. My glasses were broken, but I was completely okay. You know, was that due to their just their really great, you know, construction abilities? I don't know. But, you know, just stories like that of, of heartache and hope. Um, you know, this guy who was an 89 year old lifeguard, he'd had a heart attack like five years before and walked miles a day to like regain his strength. And then he's a lifeguard at a tech community at a tech school. Um, you know, and just, I think being really curious about people, I I think that's probably what I learned most during that season of my life is just not only learning how to ask questions, but just learning those, I don't know, empathy and what's the word that's really popular right now, you know, emotional intelligence, Um, learning how to just understand like 
my, I am not the center of my world. My life is not the only thing that matters. And there's so much that I can learn from other people. And if I can just open myself to those opportunities to talk with people and, um, learn from them, you know, life is just going to be so much richer and fuller because of that. Was that something that you learned during that period of time that, that if you just asked the question and sat back and listened, um, and asked specific questions to sort of open up, uh, you know, points of their lives to be able to trigger stories for them. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I think so. I think really, I was just so out of my element that I didn't know what to do. So I had to do something and yeah, definitely, um, learning how to just kind of listen really well and not put words in their mouths, not put my assumptions and beliefs and opinions on them, but just be willing to listen and hear what they had to say. Yeah. Yeah. And then working with people from other, other nations and other cultures, um, again, you sort of are are open to to learn. Did you did you discover um, ways to I, you know? Because I think a lot of us, when we think about specific cultures, we have a very specific um, uh, opinion or uh, or prejudge, right? A prejudice, not in a bad way, but just just the way we think about a specific culture or, or specific people. Um, was that also something that you learned during those periods of time that helps you today? Definitely. The organization that I worked for, um, their goal was to match Americans with international students to become friends and share cultures and break down some of those, you know, stigmas and those kind of stumbling blocks that you were talking about, Mark. And um, again, partly because it was my job, partly because it was just maybe my personality and my nature. um, I, I think that the more that you can experience, like actually physically experience a culture that's different than your own. Like I said, I go, I would go to their homes. I would drink chai tea. I would eat, you know, goat head soup. <laughs> I would, you know, try all these different things because I knew that the more that I could put myself in their shoes, um, the more I just would understand because I just, I don't want to be someone who is, um, unfairly, I guess, judging others. You know, I want to, I, I think that lived experience is just so important. Yeah. And so all those interviews turned into writing, right? Because that's what you did. That was your job. You had to mm-hmm. write articles. Uh, and the interviews were just the first step of that. Um, and so you learned a lot about writing. So what do you, what, let's get to, let's move forward to present time. What are you doing today as a writer? And, and how can you apply that to the audience that we're listening, that are listening today? Yeah. So currently I'm focusing on case studies and customer research interviews. And so what I like to do every time I start a project um, is to set up an interview with my client's client to really hear in their own words, you know, what, what was that decision-making process like before they decided to reach out and hire someone like an architect? What was going on in their life or business? Um, what kind of challenges were they facing? Now, those may be some of the conversations that you have during like an onboarding, you know, initial consultation or whatever. But I like to ask questions that go a lot deeper than that. Um, you know, like, remember a very specific moment, you know, before you reached out to us? What was going on in your head? Like, what was it that's like made you say, oh my gosh, this has got to change. You know, we've got to expand our house. You know, we've got to, um, you know, move into a new office space. What were the things that kind of precipitated those actions? And, um, you know, I, I think the beauty of these types of interviews is that they really do showcase the entire customer journey, you know, before someone started working with you during that experience. 
and after. And if you can start to understand where people are at each step, then you can weave your clients' real words into your marketing copy and make it much more effective. Very interesting. So, so I want I want to sort of break it down so people who are listening can understand what you're doing and how they might be able to do that for themselves. So, mm-hmm. um, for the first question is when does that happen? Does that happen with clients that you've already worked with that you know are happy with your services? Is that who you're talking to? Typically, yes. Um, you know, after you complete a project. You may decide that you want to interview, you know, all of your clients. You may just say, okay, at this period of time for the next month, we're going to choose, you know, five people that we want to reach out to and do some research for a specific period of time. But if you're noticing some, you know, gaps in your sales and marketing funnel, if you're noticing that there's a lot of people that are booking consults, but not ultimately hiring you, hiring your firm for their project, that could be an opportunity to go and interview people who did not become clients because that information can also be really, really valuable in understanding like where is that disconnect between what they're wanting, what I'm offering, and how can I bridge that gap in our in our sales conversations and our, our marketing and stuff. Right. And, and other than guessing, that's the only way you can find out answers to those questions is to ask the people who know the answers. Exactly. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons to do client interviews is that you don't have to guess, right? I think sometimes when people are writing marketing content, they're just, it's hard because they're just kind of trying to come up with things that have thin air. Or again, they're thinking about their own spirit experience and what I would want to hear, but your clients don't have the level of knowledge and expertise of architecture that you have. In fact, most of them probably don't even they, they, they communicate probably on a different level. I mean, I think about myself, I've worked with a couple architecture firms to write website copy, but still my understanding is on a much more basic level. And so doing these client interviews can kind of help you in a sense, translate your professional expertise, your professional way of communicating about things and doing things, translate that language into words that your audience can really understand and relate to. Are there specific steps or is there a specific structure on how you do this? So let's say you you know a specific client that you want to talk to uh, and so you, you want to set up that meeting. What's the process that you would typically go through uh, to, to get the information that you're looking for in an efficient way? Yeah. Um, you know, I always start with small talk because it just kind of helps put people at ease and, you know, you can talk about their family, what they did over the weekend, that kind of thing, and just um, kind of help people calm down. And I always recommend that you come prepared with a list of questions. Again, kind of thinking through before, during, after, you know, what was life, what was going on before you started, you hired us, what was the experience like while we were working together, what kind of results or impact or changes or, you know, quality of life stuff are you experiencing now? But even though you come prepared with that list of questions, be willing to go off script and trust your gut. You know, if you find something interesting and you want to dig deeper, just go for it. Um, Because I think that oftentimes the the best information that you're going to get from people is when they're on those little rabbit trails. And rather than just feeling like you have to like go boom, 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 like ask all these questions in very strict, rigid order, um, just be willing to let people share their stories organically, just however that unfolds. Yeah. Um, So then the other thing I would recommend is that as you're asking these questions, be sure to ask follow-up questions to dig even deeper and get more detail. So um, you could say, hey, you just mentioned this, you know, could you give me an example of that? What does that specifically look like in your life? 
um, you know, what kind of impact would that have, you know, if you had a bigger home, you know, if we do this remodel for you, if, if you had a bigger office space, how would it affect your employees? How would it affect your productivity? How would it, um, you know, impact your ability to, to grow your business, to scale your profits? All of those very specific questions give you insights into the things that people really do want to, um, the problems they're trying to solve when they first come to you, you know, talking to you about having your, your firm do a project for them. And the more that you understand those types of um, real life examples of what's going through someone's mind, you can then apply that in your marketing and speak to them right away. And, and again, make someone feel like you get them because at the end of the day, sales and marketing is really just about showing that you understand someone and, and making that human to human connection, not being you know forceful, not being salesy, but really just authentically saying, hey, we get this we can help you solve that problem. Here's why. Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. As architecture demand increases toward pre-pandemic levels and beyond, how are you and your architecture firm keeping up? RCAT is here to help. RCAT.com offers several free tools to help architecture and design firms like yours get work done faster. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find the right products for your projects and download BIM, CAD, and specifications right there on the same page without needing to pay or register. It's free. RCAT.com also offers product videos, catalogs, green reports, product certification information, outline and short form specification generation, and so much more. Visit RCAT.com today. RCAT.com is your one-stop solution to help increase your productivity and get more projects done faster. That's RCAT.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team by project, and get organized with financial reports, communication, and notifications. My favorite feature in FreshBooks is the automated invoice reminders. I think sending invoices and getting paid is one of the biggest barriers to our success as entrepreneur architects. Who has the time? But if we don't send out the invoices, we don't get paid, right? FreshBooks makes it easy to send out your invoices and get paid fast online with a click of a button. And when your client doesn't pay you on time, FreshBooks will send them a friendly email reminder through a simple system that you control. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid faster. Go to entrearchitect.com FreshBooks and enter EntreeArchitect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com FreshBooks. In the last few years, premium outdoor spaces have become a must-have architectural feature. And Infratech outdoor electric heating systems have become the brand of choice among leading architects. Infratech heaters provide energy-efficient ambient warmth that allows homeowners to live outdoors during cooler months. Clients love them because they can enjoy 100 more nights a year outside. Architects love them because of their unparalleled versatility. 
From heater capacities and colors to mounting options that can either seamlessly disappear or accentuate a space with beautiful decorative coverings. They're also the only comfort heat company to offer smart home integration and hands-free voice-activated control. For over 60 years, Infratech has made their products in the USA at competitive prices. They offer incredible design and live technical support at every stage of a job. A few years ago, I was visiting Sonoma Wine Country in California. It was during the autumn, so it was a bit cool when the sun dropped below the horizon. One evening, we joined a group of friends for dinner at one of the big wineries, and, and we ate outside on the veranda. That amazing Sonoma sun was setting behind the vineyard, so it was getting rather cool that evening, but we were very comfortable. In fact, the temperature was perfect for an outdoor meal during a cool Sonoma evening. I looked up and around to discover why that temperature was so comfortable and found, yes, you guessed it, an Infratech heater integrated with the design of the wood trellis above our table. All these years later, I know it was an Infratech heater because back at the studio, we were planning a large outdoor space for a client and outdoor heating was part of that plan. And we ended up specifying six Infratech heaters for that project. Their amazing customer support team helped us specify the right units and we had a very happy and comfortable client. Infratech is specified at the most prestigious properties around the world. Learn why and sign up for a free consultation at infratech-usa.com forward slash podcast. That's infratech-usa.com slash podcast. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Is there a benefit to asking questions about the alternative alternative situation where you're, you're talking with somebody who has gone through the process with you, they're happy, they're successful, they're living a new, better life with this new piece of architecture. Um, is it beneficial to ask the question of what do you think would have happened if you did not do this project? Absolutely. Because that's the type of information that you can use like on your website, for example. Um, you know, if you think about a typical website, it's like at the top, there's a headline, like this is who we are. This is what we do. Um, you know, these are our services, but one way to kind of move people to take action is to kind of in copywriting speak is agitate the problem, you know, but that's where, you know, say something like, you know, if you didn't, if you decided not to do this project, or if you decided not to work with us today, you know, these, this is kind of what's at stake and insert that answer that you just got from that interview. That was kind of a roundabout way of saying that. I hope that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, cause it comes down to the stakes, right? Because you're trying to, to, to highlight the problem, right? That if you mm -hmm. don't do this, this is what's, what's at stake. Um, so, so by proceeding with our services, this is the this is the problem that you could potentially solve. So understanding that intimately with someone who has gone through the process, someone who didn't know that at the beginning, but now knows that at the end, you can now take that and put that into your copy and be able to highlight that for the next client who may not be thinking that until they read that. And they're like, oh, yes, that's me. That's my problem. And I need to do this. So that's not where I end up. Exactly. So. The, this process of interviewing these 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 clients and doing this client research is this something that we should be doing ourselves, or is this something that we could potentially uh, hand off to one of our team members, um, or is this something that really should be handled by somebody like you, who's who's a professional at doing this? 
Yeah, I do think there's value in having someone who wasn't directly related, like who's someone who wasn't directly working on the project do the interview. Because I think that people are more willing to open up and speak candidly with an outsider, whether that's, you know, someone on your team who wasn't, you know, part of this or someone like me as a professional, because people tend to say what you expect them, what they, they say, what, what you, what they think you want to hear right? and maybe yeah. don't give like the best answers. Um, so that's why I would recommend that. Yeah. That's very interesting. So, so to hire somebody like you or to have somebody else who is not related with the project, because I can understand my happiest clients are my friends, right? They, they've come to the point where we've, we've built this relationship over this, this years of, of a project uh, it's been successful, so they still like me, uh, right? And so they're not going to want to answer a question that that potentially might hurt your feelings, uh, which is super valuable. Those are the most valuable answers are the ones that potentially might hurt my feelings. Uh, and so to have somebody else on your team or somebody else like you to be able to ask those questions, you might get more honest answers. I think from you know your perspective as the person who worked with them on the project, it might kind of be feel like you're getting a report card. You know what I mean? Like there might be some awkwardness on your end too, like saying, hey, so-and-so, do you want to like say great things about me? Right. You, are you going to say something I don't want to hear? Like definitely always helps to have a third party, you know, being the one ask those questions. So we, we've gathered all of this information. So we've had this meeting, we've asked these questions, we've, we've uh, taken notes. Is there, is there, should we be doing this as, as taking notes or is this something that that potentially we could record? Is there an advantage to recording it? Yeah, I always recommend recording the interview. I think the easiest way to do it is by video, something like Zoom, um, and, and use that audio recording, whether it's, again, video or audio, but turn it into a written transcript. I like to use an app called otter.ai. There's also things like Rev, um, lots of different transcription services out there. But the benefit of being able to hear it and see it is that you're just processing that information on different levels. Um, in fact, I actually always print out those transcripts after the interviews and go through them by hand. And I'm looking for for themes, you know, things that people say, you know, in three of the five interviews, for example, if I'm doing a series of them. Um, I'm looking for really great quotes where so someone says something that's just really moving or they say something in a really unique way. I'll highlight that with one you know, one color of highlighter. Um, I'll go in and highlight pain points or emotions or whatever, you know, in a different color, because I think that just processing that information by hand, as your audience probably knows, being, you know, a team of, of creatives, there's just something, there's a deeper type of, um, I guess, awareness that happens when you're doing something in that very tangible way. And so once you've kind of looked through that information, kind of processed it and sorted it a little bit, I like to take it and put it into a Google Doc or a spreadsheet so that you can actually reference it easily and continue to use it. So that may be something as simple as setting up a Google Doc, you know, that says, you know, what was going on before they decided to work with me? Like, here's question one, question two, question three, and just kind of start to like a bulleted list under each question for the various answers that you got. And then, you know, part two is like, here's like the during section, part three, here's after. But you also, you know, may just have an entire like document full of really, really great quotes, because I don't know how many times I've been looking for like a testimonial, you know, to kind of show the power of what I'm able to do. And 
I just, I, I'm like, I know this one person said this one thing, but I just don't know where it's at. And having, or, or, you know, you're in the middle of a client meeting and someone's like, you know, have you done this type of project before? Can you basically give me evidence that you're capable of doing it? Being able to quickly find, you know, your have your client sing your praises for you and being able to quickly find that information in an easy to access Google document just makes that so much easier. That is such a great idea. It's, it's so valuable to, to, to take that interview transcribe it so it becomes writing, then go through a process of analysis looking for specific pieces in this this interview that you've had. So you can now start highlighting the emotional comments, the, the, the befores and afters, like you said, uh, and then put them in a spreadsheet. So now you have a database of all of this information. So you have a very quick way of, of finding the pieces that you're looking for, finding the testimonials. The best testimonials always come from a casual conversation with somebody while they're just talking about you. Um, now you can go back and say, hey, you said this. Can I use this as a testimonial? Wow, so so valuable. Um, and now you have this database full of information. And over years, you're going to be doing this. You'll be collecting all of this information potentially over years. Now you can potentially see patterns right, in this data. Because yeah. now you can see people saying the same words over and over and over again. That's where it really becomes valuable, right? Yeah. Well, and here's another thing, you know, Mark, you mentioned a little bit ago about, um, you know, solving problems for people and asking them, you know, what kind of like basically what was at stake, you know? Another thing you can often ask is like, what were you uncertain about? Was there anything that made you kind of hesitant before you said yes and decided to hire us and, and move forward with this project? Because again, those hesitations, those uncertainties are things that you can then address in an FAQ page on your website. You know, I think I think FAQ pages are sometimes the most boring thing on a website. They're just, you know, kind of stock answers. But if you can really write them from a way of like addressing like, like addressing like hesitations or concerns that people have, then that does a lot of the selling for you. And they come to your consultation or your sales meeting or whatever, like already having those things out of their way. And they're just more willing to say, okay, what's next? How can we make this happen? But here's like another tip though, is that not only can you ask people during these interviews, like what hesitations did you have? But if they've already been a client of yours, say, hey, looking back now with the experience that you have, how would you answer that question for someone else. Like, let's say we're meeting with a client tomorrow and they have that exact same concern. What would you tell them? You know? And, and so then you actually have the hesitation or whatever, and the answer from your clients in their own words. Yeah. And you can actually attribute that answer to your client. So it's, it's not me answering that question. It's somebody who's gone through that process. So it's, it's sort of a testimonial about this question that this person may have. Exactly. Wow. It's, it's really, it's interesting what we're talking about here because we talk about, we've talked about copy over and over again on this podcast. Everybody knows that copywriting is important. The, the words matter that are on your website. Um, but, but how do we get those words, right, is so important. Um, and I, that's always a question from architects, from our community. You know, I understand copy is important. Websites are important. But how do I know what to write? And and this is the process. Go through this process, collect this data, research it, analyze it, document it, and now you have all of the information you need to develop whatever you're creating, right? Whether it's proposals or case studies uh, or websites um, or all the, what, what, what are some of the other things that we might be able to use all this information for? Yeah, if you um, are, 
looking for opportunities to speak in other people's communities, you know, whether it's um, you're speaking on a podcast or at a, a networking organization in your community. Um, when you're sending that pitch, I guess, to um, be on someone's show or speak in their community, you can use your a, a testimonial from your client about their experiencing working with you to really show your credibility and also the value of what you have to offer. Um, I think, you know, if you are sending out any kind, of, any kind of weekly emails or doing social media posts, whatever that kind of outbound marketing is, or inbound marketing, um, again, using your client's own words, whether it's a testimonial, I, I think personally, the hardest thing about social media posts is always the first and last line, right? You want to have a really great introduction that grabs attention and you want to have a really great closing at the end that just like makes that whatever it is you're trying to communicate linger in somebody's mind. And if you can use your client's exact words from that database of client interviews, it just makes it a lot easier to write a hook or a first sentence to that social media post in a way that is going to like jump out to people. Yeah. And if you, if you have collected all of this information over time, now you have tons of information for social media, right? That's another question that we have all the time. What do I do with social media? I know I so, know social media is important. How do I, what do I do and how do I do it? Well, if you have a database full of information that's come from people you've worked with um, or people who have not worked with you, right? And they moved on to somebody else and why, we've talked about that before. Um, now you have something to write in all of those social media posts. Exactly. Um, and if you like, you know that you're getting the same questions all the time, people are always like, I wish I had known this before we started working together, or I was really curious about this and I didn't understand it. Then that's where you say, okay, I'm going to write a series of educational posts about this topic on social media to help my audience understand exactly what it is that I do so that some of those, those questions or those uncertainties are just erased from their mind. And it really just does remove a lot of the friction from the buying process when people do really understand, like they really get it. Okay. This is what you do. This is what you offer. This is how you can help me. This is how it's going to go. So interesting. So valuable. If somebody wanted to, um, small firm architects are super busy. We're wearing so many hats, doing so many different things, uh, to have to go through this process. Uh, it would be great to be able to hire somebody like you. So how do you work with somebody like us? Yeah. So typically, um, I have kind of a, again, a consultation with people just to get a, a, a picture of what is, what they're needing, you know, um, kind of what their goals are, why they're needing more of this information, how they're going to use the information that they get from these client interviews. Um, and then typically I'll just say, okay, let's talk through, you know, some clients that you've worked with. And if you're wanting to, um, you know, figure out why this certain type of person isn't, you know, choosing you at to, for their firm. Um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, but basically figuring out how can we align your business goals with the types of interviews that we're going to be doing. And once we've selected, you know, those clients, typically, you know, three to five interviews at a time is how I work. Um, then I'll kind of take care of the rest. I'll, you know, give you a scheduling link. You send in a template to introduce me to your clients. Um, you, and then you can just kind of sit back and relax while I take care of the rest. You know, I'll, I'll set up the interviews, I'll conduct them, I'll record them, I'll make the transcript and then send that back to my client. So again, they have that treasure trove of data that they can not only use now, but use it in the future as 
as well. And then kind of go through those, um, that process I mentioned earlier about like analyzing the information, putting it in an organized document so that it's easy to access and easy to use. And then kind of at the end of the project saying, hey, here's how I rec what I recommend that you actually apply this information. Because it's one thing to have it and just sitting, you know, collecting dust somewhere. It's something else to actually actively use it. And so just kind of, again, being aware of a business's um, goals, you know, what are you trying to achieve as a small firm architecture or small architecture firm? What are you, where are you trying to grow? Where are you seeing struggles and stuff? Like, how can you use this information to get there? I could see this, this process and the information that comes from this process becoming really the, the, the most critical key to all of your marketing, right? As a small firm architect, we just went through the whole process of all these different things that we need to do and how we do it. And, you know, so we have websites and case studies and social media and all, all of this information. Um, wouldn't it be great if you had a, a database full of information, a spreadsheet that has all of the, and it's all coordinated, right? So here's emotional content. Here's, uh, you know, content about, you know, things that didn't work out the way they wanted them to. Um, super valuable. Um, so before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you the one question that I ask everybody. Um, what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Yeah, I would say, I know that like as a small business owner myself, I know that I'm always wearing a million hats and I have to make sure that I'm dedicating time in my calendar to do my own marketing. Right. And so I would say, you know, get out your Google calendar, your iCalendar today, and just set down a half an hour to an hour in the next week that you can spend on your marketing, whether you're just like strategizing and brainstorming what to do, whether you're writing some social media posts, whether you're, you know, reaching out to an expert to help you put those things, bring those things to life, just get out your calendar right now and make it a, an appointment with yourself. Cause I really have to treat myself as my own client. Otherwise it's not going to get done. Yeah. That's, that's super valid. That's how I do everything I do. <laughs> if I don't have it time blocked on a calendar, it's not going to happen. There's way too much going on in my life to, to try to keep it in my mind. Uh, her name yeah. is Melissa Harstein. The company is Melissa Harstein Creative. You could find out more about Melissa and the things that she's doing and to if you want to work with her. Uh, it's melissaharstein.com. We will have a link to that website on our uh, website on, for the show notes. Um, there's also, you, before we got started here, you had mentioned that you wanted to share a guide with our community. Uh, can you talk about the guide, what it is, how it is, and how they might be able to to access it? Yeah, I have a guide that's just a PDF download. It's a guide to how to do better client interviews. And it's a lot of the things that you and I talked about today, Mark. You know, what kind of questions to ask? How do you set up the interview? What do you do with the information? What do you have once you have it? How do you analyze it? How do you organize it? How do you use it? And so people can download um, that free resource on my website at melissaharstein.com slash entrearchitect. All right, super easy. melissaharstein.com slash entrearchitect. Uh, Melissa is with one L, two S's, melissaharstein.com slash entrearchitect. We'll have a link to that too on our website uh, at the show notes for this episode. Melissa, this has been super valuable. You've pretty much given us the, the whole process of how to do this. And as you described it, I realize that this is probably the most important thing we should do because it gives us the information that we need for everything else that we need to do in, in marketing and sales. So uh, I appreciate you for coming and sharing all this information, sharing this knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate you having me on your show and talking about some of these important marketing foundations. 
If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. That's how Entree Architect will grow to serve thousands more architects just like you. Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and Infratech Comfort Heaters for their support of this episode. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership. Ready to edit business resources, live monthly business training for architects, a supportive architect community, and simple systems. Our new business system program developed for small firm entrepreneur architects just like you. It's all waiting for you right now at Entree Architect Academy membership, including AIA continuing education learning units. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect peers. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Thank you for listening. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. 
Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.